Greetings, citizens. Welcome to the Novic Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We've been together, the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to discuss current events, emerging trends, lessons learned, and expert advice. It's part of the Novic ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research. So check out novic.co to learn more. And with that, I'm your host, Alex Takei, and this is the interview segment. I'm back after our hiatus during winter break, lots of traveling. We made a change or two in the new year, and I'll be covering a broader range of topics versus solely Web3. To kick off this new season, I've actually got a very cool guest with me today. He doesn't work in the gaming industry per se, but what he provides is nonetheless critical to the gaming founder journey. Joining me on air today is Patrick Lee, the founder of Top Corner Capital, an early stage venture debt and equity fund located in Silicon Valley. Welcome to the pod, Patrick. Thank you. I'm super glad we were able to get this in, and thanks for coming on. I find this topic to be fascinating, and there are some pressing exigencies that make this pretty timely as well. So before I ask you to introduce yourself in a bit more detail, I want to lay the groundwork for what today's episode is about. It's the season for raising, as we all know, entrepreneurs that raise their seeds at spicy valuations and low dilutions are out looking to raise again, and the environment looks a little bit different. Equity is harder to get this season, and VCs are clutching onto their capital. The bar for getting a check has dramatically risen. Today, we're going to talk about another and complementary financing vehicle, venture capital's stepbrother, venture debt, or as you might share with us, quote, a better way to play venture capital. Venture debt of all the early and growth stage financing vehicles, including angels, syndicates, crowdfunding, VCs, and CVCs, is not that well understood by many entrepreneurs and even venture capitalists. But in the United States, you know, venture debt is at a record level in 2022 at 29 billion, up from 28.5 billion in 2021, and has been on the rise in the past decade or so in popularity. Today, we're focusing on what is venture debt, what makes it different from venture capital, when you should use it, who should use it, and what venture debt firms are looking for in their founding teams. So I know I just ran the gambit there. So Patrick, I'll give you the floor. How'd you wind up in venture debt? And tell us a bit more about yourself. Thanks, Alex. I, um, I kind of uh, fell into venture debt, not in a straightforward way. I was actually starting, or I had started my career on the venture equity side, and had spent close to 10 years doing venture equity. And then when I was looking around for my next position, um, I kind of came across this venture debt area, which I was very not very well understood and, and not one that I knew a lot about. Although I'd used it on the venture equity side, I was intrigued by it. But the more time I spent in it and looking at it and diligencing it, <clears throat> the more I liked it and the more it fit my personality and, and what I wanted to do, um, which is to do something that was close to venture capital, but obviously a little bit different in terms of a business model. Um, and real quick, my background, I've been in the Valley for almost 30 years. As I mentioned, the first 10 years, I was on the venture equity side. I started my career with a firm called Hamburg and Quist or H&Q, which is sort of one of the early pioneers in the Valley um, doing tech investing and tech banking. Uh, and then we were acquired, H&Q was acquired by JP Morgan. I joined them for a while on the equity side. And then since then, I've been with, this is Top Corner Capital is my third fund that I've been with, third venture debt fund. So H&Q, JP Morgan, and then now three venture debt funds. And I started this fund. I founded the fund in 2020 um, called Top Corner Capital uh, to focus specifically on venture debt and specifically on early stage venture debt, which is our specific focus and differentiation uh, in the venture debt space. Awesome. Yeah, it feels super lucky to have you here. You're like a venture debt um, savant at this point, uh, you know, founding your own firm and, you know, kind of doing this, uh, this alternate vehicle that we, you know, don't really hear that much about in the news in general, and uh, uh, only kind of get to see it from the finance side or business school side. Um, and so thank you for sharing your background on sort of like how you how you became interested in venture debt. I'm curious to know, could you share a little bit more about, you know, where venture debt as a vehicle came from? You know, uh, how did it actually start and its inception? Um, where did it, you know, 19, is it early? Is it, does it precede venture capital? Does it come after venture capital? How did it get invented? It's definitely after venture capital and it's been around a long time. Um, the last firm I was with was around for uh, at least 40 years. So this is a, a sector 
that's evolved over those over that time frame, but it's been around a long time. It's been around uh, again close to forty plus years. Its origins are actually in the equipment leasing side. So the origins of venture debt is actually leasing. So and back then you would be leasing, believe it or not, mainframes. Uh, so it goes way back to the early days of computing, where these big, large, uh, capital-intensive mainframes. Um, were expensive, and so you, instead of buying them, you'd lease them, and there'd be someone providing debt to lease those. And then that evolved into smaller and smaller form factors. But the leasing business was where it started. So people were leasing computers, people were leasing servers, people were leasing any kind of equipment needed for their technology. Um, and again, you're going back 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, where it's evolved to in the last, I'd say, 20 years, um, is less leasing. There still are some leasing firms out there, but the word venture debt today means more less asset-backed financing and more what we call growth capital financing, which is basically financing the growth of these companies. And venture debt today for us uh, isn't can be used to buy hardware or equipment, but it can also be used for marketing, for sales, for R&D, for anything you want, just like a dollar of equity. And so... Um, it's really come through a very long uh, evolution. But today, what venture debt, when most people talk about it, it's being used uh, to fund operations and and many different things. Um, but obviously, it's different than venture equity, which has a higher cost of capital versus our cost of capital, which is lower. Got it. So basically, venture debt used to be a leasing business that was collateralized by physical actual assets. assets. So a literal bench in the office or something like that. Um, And now it is sort of shifted to be collateralized, not by a specific asset, but rather by the structure of terms that um, are accompanied with a actual venture debt agreement. And so... Yeah, that's right. Just to interrupt you, exactly right. It used to be, you'd say, here's my list of pieces of equipment I want to buy they would send the invoices to the leasing firm. The leasing firm would look at those and say, we're going to finance this piece of hardware and this piece of hardware. And they were tagged and you can only borrow the money if you were buying that equipment. Today, we have a first lien or security interest on all the assets of the company. And it's not tied to any specific one asset. It's tied to all the assets of the company, uh, but could also be used for things that aren't hard assets like marketing and customer acquisition and R&D and things like that, hiring more people. Um, And so... Yes, it's a good way to think about it. One was hard assets. Today, it's all assets. And actually, most companies have very few uh, hard assets. Uh, a software company may have servers, but those or that's in the cloud, there's no hardware at all. Um, and so there's not much in terms of assets to back. So you're really more backing the company and the, the whole enterprise value of the company as opposed to the assets. Got it. And so I think this is like a perfect segue. You know, what we kind of talked a little bit about what it is, but what is it actually? Um, what is venture debt? Like, what are you? I assume I'm getting some sort of money, but what am I giving? What am I giving you guys? And how is it different than maybe uh, an original venture capital agreement? Sure. So, uh, first off, venture debt rarely replaces venture equity. It comp- I always like to say it complements equity. So, we're most often coming in after someone's raised a venture capital round of equity, and that equity comes in you know, at a certain valuation in terms and preferred stock and so on. <clears throat> we typically come in after that. We are a layer of debt. So we're not equity, we're debt. So we come in senior to the preferred equity. So think of a layer on top of preferred stock is now a piece of what we call venture debt or just debt. Um, these are three-year term loans. So it's not convertible notes. These aren't safes. These aren't, um, so think of it like a mortgage. We provide X dollars to the company and they pay us back typically over three, sometimes four years, but usually three years. Um, and it's a little bit like taking out a mortgage. Uh, you have fixed payments every month of principal and interest. They're amortizing loans and that's what you get. And in return, if you give them those X dollars, they can, as I just mentioned, they can use those any way they want. Um, and there's an interest rate on that loan. And there's typically some warrants associated with that loan. So there's some dilution. People often say, oh, you're a non-dilutive solution. It's not non-dilutive, it's less dilutive. 
but the amount of, if you combine the interest rate and the warrants, it's still less expensive, a lower cost of capital versus pure equity. And so we kind of look at it as a less dilutive, uh, more optimal, and a component of your capital structure. But again, you should still have equity there and equity holders and preferred stock and VCs. And so we view them as partners, the VCs provide equity, not competitors. And they view us as well as complementing their capital, uh, working side by side with them. And obviously, a, a lot smaller amount of debt versus a larger amount of equity in the company. Got it. Okay, so TLDR, you might give me a $3 million loan. Um, mm-hmm. And in return, I'll be paying some interest income as principal payments as I go along throughout the cycle over the course of three years, amortizing yep. over a three-year period. Right. Um, I will also have the, um, it will also come accompanied with warrants that may convert into equity down the line. Um, and then I'm also obviously repaying the entire original loan value at some point in time depending on, I guess, how the actual um, vehicle is structured. Yeah, you're actually paying it off every time there's a payment of principal and interest, you're paying down that loan. So that $3 million will start off at $3 million, and every month it'll check down because you're paying it back in small increments. And by the end of the three years, you don't owe anything else. And so it's not a big lump sum. Some lenders do that where they just do a lump sum bullet, we call it. Right. Uh, we don't do that. A lot of the firms that I know and have worked at don't do that. Um, ours is a monthly amortizing loan. And so it becomes basically part of the operating expense of a company. It's yeah. n- another way to think of it. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm just flashing back to my uh, undergrad like finance 100 bullet payments versus um, <laughs> principal plus interest situations. Uh, so I was wondering whether or not the loans might be structured similar to that. And so it sounds like for you guys, your most common lease length, um, I mean, sorry, loan length is is three is three years. Um, you know, explain a little bit about like what do like you know you that might be true for top corner capital, but you know what who are the other major players? Um, what are the other structures that are out there that are also being done pretty heavily in venture debt? Yeah, and venture debt is a catch-all phrase. It, it encompasses a lot of different types of firms. Um, there's really two or three main buckets of players in the market. There's commercial banks. Uh, that's one group. Obviously, we're a fund. That's the second group. And then I'll call it specialty finance, uh, which captures a lot of you know, some of them are public BDCs, some of them are leasing companies, some of them are asset-backed lenders, some of them are very specialized, um, and some of them are, as I mentioned, public companies. Um, and so there's kind of the three different, um, and just to break those down a little bit more, the the main, there's only three or four banks that do this, commercial banks, like a Silicon Valley Bank, a JP Morgan, um, and the likes of those. Uh, and they are commercial banks. They have deposits. Their main business is the deposit business. They provide a lot of other financial services, credit cards, checking accounts, things like that. Then um, they do this venture debt piece on the side, big piece of their business, but it's not their only business. The venture capital or venture debt funds like us, um, of which there's a couple, and I worked at two before. Again, there's probably, you know, maybe five to ten at most. There's not that many. Wow. And they all have different folks. Some are late stage focused, some are special situation focused, some are collateral focused. I mentioned um, some are like us focused on early stage, some are multi stage. Um, and so there's a lot of different flavors in there that uh, are very, very different, but they're private funds uh, raised like venture capital funds. We raise from typical venture capital types of investors, and it's a, what we call a GPLP structure. Um, and then that third bucket is public companies, public publicly raised BDCs, um, uh, family offices, um, specialty hedge funds. Uh, and that's of a wide, even a wider variety of types of players. So those are kind of the three main buckets of different participants. And everyone has a slightly different way of doing the business um, and a different approach and a different hurdle and a, and a different risk appetite and maybe a different stage and sometimes different sectors. I see. Got it. So it's a, it's like any other VC, you know, the amount of negotiation, interest terms, loan amount is all very variable depending on, you know, what shop you approach and yep. um, the structure of the deal specifically. Correct. Um, 
Okay, awesome. So I kind of got this down, right? I know what venture debt is. Um, it's basically a loan and uh, with, with, with accompanied by warrants that might convert into equity plus interest income and principal payments um, or paying down the original loan amount. And I kind of want to dive into, you know, what really, really distinguishes it from venture capital. You know, we talked about one thing, which was the capital um, allocation waterfall structure, um, which I think for our audience, um, you know, if you could ex- just briefly explain sort of, you know, what that allocation structure means and, you know, what, what does it mean when you say debt is senior to, to, to equity stock or preferred stock? Sure. So on a capital structure, there's obviously debt secured, there's unsecured debt. Um, and then as we say, they use the word waterfall. So if a company were to be sold um, for either a lot of money or a little bit of money, you go through this waterfall and it, that's who gets paid in what order. And so debt is debt, it sits above equity. Um, and senior secured debt gets paid before unsecured debt. So an unsecured debt may be a, someone you owe money to, but there's no security interest. Um, so first of all, the first people to get paid are obviously the employees, their salaries, their vacation pay, um, taxes, anything that you know needs to be paid first. And then comes us, the senior secured lender, then unsecured lenders. Um, so if you have a legal bill or you have you owe money to your whoever's hosting your your software, you owe them, um, and you have a liability there. Then preferred equity, which is the VCs, um, and then common stock. Um, and so in that order is how the waterfall gets played out from a security interest and a and a capital structure. Um, so I think. I think that answers your question on that. Um, and what makes it different than venture equity is maybe your other question. Yeah, exactly. So, like, maybe we'll let's go through some of the the key features that we might see in a VC term sheet. You know, uh, equity. Um, we talked about the capital allocation stack. Um, how about control slash board seats, priced rounds, warrants. Um, you know, the value beyond capital. I'm thinking, you know, these are sort of the, some of the things that, you know, a reason why an entrepreneur would approach a VC and, and, and raise for them. So how does that value proposition shift or look a little bit different when you compare venture capital to venture debt? Yeah. So again, back to what I said earlier, we shouldn't be replacing venture equity. We should be complementing it. So we don't, it's not a, Hey, I want to do one or the other. Um, you should definitely raise the equity first. Um, that's pure risk capital. Um, you know, they want to come in. They there might be an idea. It might be really early, and they're swinging for the fences. They want to see this thing grow. You know, to be a grand slam home run, to use the baseball analogy. Um, and and they typically want to own a bigger chunk of the company. They want to own. You know, most VCs want to own fifteen, maybe twenty percent. They typically take a board seat. They typically want to be have fewer investments and be very, very involved in each one of them. I'm generalizing, but that's the typical venture equity structure. Um, they do need to be paid back. So similar to what we say, we're, we're going to be paid back. They want to be paid back. That's that liquidation preference or that preferred ahead of common. So they could definitely get paid before we do. But it's not a specific time frame. It's not a very specific uh, schedule like we have where the, the debt's being paid back every month. And so, but I, I always laugh when people say, oh, well, I, why would I take debt when I have to pay you back? I say, well, you still got to pay back your equity. Um, it's just not a defined schedule. And you definitely don't, you can't pay the common before you pay the preferred, as we just talked about. Um, but anyway, the two coexist. Typically, the venture equity is raised. They do that heavy lifting. They take a board seat. They will own 20%. They will have a bunch of protective provisions in their term sheets and things you can and cannot do. And they'll since they're sitting on the board, in most cases, there's, they're going to have a vote in terms of anything that happens at the company. Venture debt's much easier and there's less friction. We're not pricing around. Our warrants are typically tied to whatever preferred stock um, is being you know, created by the venture equity folk. We're not taking a board seat. We're typically not owning a big chunk of the company. Our warrants have a small amount of ownership, but nothing in the, in the range of 20%. Um, and then we don't have the rights, the same protective provisions in our preferred agreements. Um, we just have this warrant that could exercise into that preferred stock. And so it's a lighter, easier product to put in place. Um, it's usually smaller dollar amount than the equity as well, as I referred to earlier. And so 
but it allows the company to do anything they want with the capital we give them as well. So the similarity is you can use a dollar from us like a dollar of, of equity. And if you want to invest in R&D and hire more salespeople and put some money into marketing. Uh, so it's quite flexible um, and it's quite founder friendly, I think is the word that uh, we talked about in class. It is true. It should be founder friendly. If it's full of covenants and restrictions and you can't use the money, then that's not a good venture debt deal. And some lenders do that. Some lenders have very prohibitive and restrictive covenants and things you cannot do. And so, um, but that's not how we do it and not, not how most of the firms that I've worked, worked with have done it. And so, um, but those are some of the subtlety and differences between uh, venture equity and venture debt. And the last thing I'll just say is if you really boil down our product, it's, it's lower beta venture. It should be done in situations where there's less risk so it's not some idea and let's hit a grand slam and, you know, it's all or nothing. And if it doesn't work, I'll make it up on the upside. Venture debt's really more, hey, this is working. I know what I want to do with this venture debt capital. I want to grow faster. I want to hire these people. I have very specific use cases for it. And, and hence, it should be lower risk as well. Um, so in the baseball analogy, the venture equity guy or person wants to go out and hit a grand slam every time. We think of it as, hey, let's go hit singles and doubles, not strike out, but get on base, uh, the occasional walk. And so it's a little bit different um, you know, mindset uh, from that perspective. Uh, doesn't mean we don't want the Grand Slam. It doesn't mean we don't get some Grand Slams, but we don't own as much and we don't have as concentrated the bets that the venture equity guys um, or folks do. And so it's very uh, different from that perspective. Got it. And then jumping on to that, I would suspect that there's sometimes then maybe some friction between the relationship between maybe a venture debt debtor and a venture capitalist, depending on the ambitions for what the project is supposed to become, right? If a VC is looking for home runs and you guys are looking for singles and doubles, you might be willing to write um, you know, a, a term sheet for a company that is going to be a good business, but a VC might not. And since you guys have to come after an equity round, you need the VC in order to um, complement the equity side. How do you guys kind of like do that sort of deal flow making and, 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 and et cetera? Walk me through a little bit of the actual like strategic process of, of finding, finding the right deals. Like what kind of founders are you specifically looking for? Um, and, you know, what kind of businesses are they already operating, right? Uh, yeah, a lot to unpack there. There. The um, Well, the first thing I would say was there are certain deals that are great for equity. They're not great for debt. Um, a binary outcome, really big upside, but could go to zero um, is usually not a good venture debt deal. It might be a great venture equity play because you'll cover your losses with these big, massive home runs. Um, and that's that grand slam thinking versus singles and doubles. So there's some businesses that don't really fit well for venture debt that fit really well for venture equity. Um, but we normally are aligned with them. We want this company to grow and be big and be worth a lot. We make money off the warrants. Sometimes we invest equity as well, and we want to see these things flourish. And obviously, if their equity is worth a lot, then our debt's going to be paid off. And so we don't want binary zero outcomes. Neither does a VC. They don't want that. But sometimes they can take those swings uh, because it's worth it. We will usually shy away from those. So most of our companies... Um, have product market fit, have early revenues, are growing. And this is a question of helping them grow even faster. And so a good company for us is one that's it's working. It's not, this is not a Band-Aid and they're not running out of money tomorrow. And we're helping them grow even faster and we're less dilutive. And so the founders love it because it's they could do that with equity, but it's just more expensive and they make less money. And if you remember the case we had in the in the classroom, you know the founder saves X millions of dollars by using venture debt instead of using all equity. Yeah, um, he retains like three point five percent more of his company or something like that. Yeah, right? and that's massive if the company is a big success down the road. And so that's sort of textbook, you know, great use case and a great example of where the venture debt. Uh, but it can also be, hey, I need to hit certain milestones before I raise my next round of of capital. And without the venture debt, I may not be able to hit those. Um, with the venture debt, I not only hit those, but I can raise it on better valuation with better 
terms and better VCs for the next round. So it, it also tends to have a more immediate um, impact on these companies because they can use it to get a more successful next round. Um, and so it's, it's usually, if used properly, it's, it's a great vehicle and everybody wins. Um, the investors win, the, so the VCs win, they like us, the entrepreneurs and founders and employees win, and we win uh, because our debt was paid back and we have value in our warrants. And so it's not a one or the other, it's more a, hey, this makes sense. Um, and then the other comment I would just say is, you know, it's kind of coming back to your finance class. Um, it's this corporate finance 101, a small amount of leverage in a good asset or good company that's growing and doing well um, makes a lot of sense. You know, you should use, it's like buying a house with all equity. You could do it, but if you believe your house has value and is going to grow and appreciate and it's a good asset, you're going to put a mortgage on it. Um, maybe you're not going to put a massive mortgage on it, but you'll put a small mortgage on it. So there's sort of corporate finance 101 reasons to do it. It's a little more subtle at the stages of companies we work with because these are money, you know, these are unprofitable money losing companies. And so we have to believe in the enterprise value of these things over time. And, and, and again, it doesn't fit. I wouldn't say venture debt fits for every single venture equity deal, VC deal. Um, and, and we, we look very, very carefully. And you, you said one thing that's very important, which is we look extremely closely at the founder and the CEO and the senior team to see if she or he is the right type of person we want to back and get behind. And, you know, are they going to, number one, repay our loan? And number two, are they going to make this company into success so that our warrants have value? And if you don't believe those things, you know, say no more. It's, it's not worth our time. Got so. it. Yeah. So it's just, it's a, it's a way to basically like from a very early stage, start levering up your business. Um, and yes. in that regard, right. We talked about the timing being very important, right. You know, you usually raise venture debt after an equity round. What's the actual execution window of that, right? How long are you typically seeing founders wait after a price round to go and seek venture debt? Sometimes it's simultaneous. They'll come to us and say, We're, we want to raise a series seed or a series A round and we want to put some debt on it. Um, let's start talking to you. We'll start talking to equity investors. And, and so it's sometimes lockstep um, because they don't want to be diluted. They say, hey, I want to raise X millions of dollars, but I don't want to raise you know, a small piece of venture debt. In the, um, sometimes it's right after a round closes. It's all set, but it could be the next day. And they're like, hey, we closed our equity. You know, now we want to do venture debt. And sometimes it's a couple of months after that um, where they're thinking and they said, well, I knew we raised this much on our venture equity round, but I really wish we had, you know, X plus Y and let's cover that with venture debt. I don't want to reopen my round. I don't want to get more diluted. And so those are all three scenarios are pretty common um, where we don't really get called in is, hey, I have a month left of cash. Let's put some venture <laughs> debt on this. So we're not bridge financing companies running out of money. It's sure. really more for someone who's thinking forward and saying, here's my plan. And to execute on my plan, I need this much capital to do it. Got it. So venture debt is not the hit the panic button. Um, it no. is the prevent panic two years out button. Yes. Um, and so the reason I was asking about the timing, right? So it sounds like you sometimes you will raise venture debt and venture capital simultaneously, or they're swiftly followed one or the other. Um, or maybe it is a longer period of, you know, maybe a few months in between. I'm asking because I'm wondering how this impacts my relationship with my VC. You know, maybe I'm being a bit naive here or seeing the dark side or being cynical about it. But, you know, it could be perceived as, oh, debt come first in the waterfall, as you described. These are senior secured. And I'm down here below them, behind them in the lunch line. And my if my preferred stock. And, you know, we're talking about all this risk profile stuff. As a VC, like, you know, essentially if you're pre-revenue and you're pre-profit, you might be using a VC's money to pay your venture debtor, right? If this is possible. So how does that, um, how do you kind of deal with that mechanic or like, you know, unwinding that if that's too cynical of a way to see it? Are you talking from the entrepreneur's perspective or the venture guys? Actually, both would be, both would be great. Yeah, so um, first off, you said two things. Most of our companies are not, are not profitable. Most 
startups, even later stage startups, are still burning money. So profitable is not something we typically see. Uh, but you also said pre-revenue. Pre-revenue is a little different. Pre-revenue means you still haven't figured out product market fit. And and so we tend not to get involved until there's a revenue. Um, but then they're clearly burning money. And even a late stage company, even a public company these days is burning money. Um, and so they could be unprofitable for a long time. It's not that they couldn't be profitable. It's just they've chosen not to be profitable because they want to grow faster and invest in the business for the long run. And so anyway, just a slight distinction there. But um, yeah, to look at the constituents, uh, let's take the founder and the, the employees first. They're definitely common. There's preferred ahead of them already. And you're adding another layer ahead of them. And and they love it because it's 100% of the entrepreneurs and, and people like it because it's less dilutive. And so they have conviction. They think their business is going to be a huge success. They clearly think they're going to pay back the debt. And they could raise that incremental capital and equity, but it's just, it's it's always going to be more expensive, hence less money in their pocket. And so for them, they look at it as a, an attractive and easy way to get a little bit of extra capital to complement the equity, to do more things, to make their company more valuable. And they clearly believe they can pay it back and it's not going to be in, in the way. Um, and so most entrepreneurs are, you know, they have big visions and they're optimistic and you know they're not so much if it fails it fails no one makes any money so they care less about that or they think less about that the venture equity guys to use the next group of folks <clears throat> they also effectively lever their returns they don't have to put in any more money they get the company gets further along if we're doing our jobs right the venture debt person it allows them to hit more milestones to raise the next round at a higher price and so they are also benefiting from that um, and they're also taking the risk <clears throat> that they're optimistic and this thing's going to go to the moon and that, you know, we're going to get paid. We're, we're easily going to pay back. If they don't think the debt, the company's worth as much as the debt, then then we got a whole other problem, right? Um, <laughs> they think there's multiples on their equity. And if a dollar of equity is paid, by definition, the debt's paid back. And so they look at it that way. Sometimes we get on the other side of the table from the VC who wants to put more money in instead of our capital. Um, and sometimes yeah, tell me more do, about that. And sometimes they do that. It's their prerogative and they can put it in and they don't want to have anyone else put money in and they don't want to have to owe anyone any money. Um, but it's not necessarily in the best interest of the founders and the employees because, again, their capital is more expensive, so you're diluting the people in the company more. Um, and, and so that doesn't usually happen. Um, Usually, the venture equity person says, "Yeah, let's put a modest and, and a, the right amount of debt too." I should caveat that it's not like we're going to go load this thing up and put, you know, big, huge debt, you know, slugs of debt on this to hinder the business. So it's got to be in the right proportion, which is usually a fraction, small fraction of the equity raised and a small fraction of the company's burn rate. Um, you don't want the debt being half your expenses for. In your burn rate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's sort of like where my question was sort of leading, right? When you might be, you're basically adding on burn that you might not have had before, right? So when you as a venture debt firm are looking for businesses, right, I would suppose it would, you would feel more secure about being paid back if there was already, you know, some strong cash flow generation. And so in that regard, you know, what sort of businesses are you? in the business of funding, essentially. I know that we briefly talked about, um, you do have a, a gaming company in your portfolio. I'd love for you to kind of walk through the um, investment thesis there and sort of like where they were when they raised venture debt to sort of um, you know understand whether or not even this this market or, dem, um, or vertical slice is even something that a venture debtor would touch. Yeah, so again, most of our companies are in revenue. Most of our companies are, are generating cash flows from revenue. Our debt service is a tiny piece of their business, uh, and they're using it to hit more milestones and do more things um, down the road. The gaming We don't have a gaming company in our portfolio. We have a company that services the gaming market um, called Ugami, and they're a really a fintech company. And what they do is wow. provide, they provide a debit card and soon-to-be-launched credit card for gamers um, and it's got affinity points and it's got a store and it's cool and it's got all the bells and whistles that gamers love uh, because no one's ever targeted gamers with um, a credit card or a debit card 
you know, it's it's just sort of a cool product design for that audience and and built around a lot of the needs and um, and you know features that gamers would love. Um, I have done a gaming company in the past, uh, and that that was sort of a later stage company that was generating um, a tremendous amount of cash flow and was actually by the time we were working with them was profitable. Um, and they were spitting off lots of cash and they also viewed it as a replacement or instead of raising more equity, they raised some, they raised some debt. Um, and so anyway, that, that's a little sidebar on what, what we've seen or done in the gaming space. Um, and, and we cover a lot of different sectors. Um, we like in, to answer your question, they also asked what kinds of companies we tend to like high, high margin, you know, uh, companies that have high gross margin, that is <clears throat> uh, companies that can service our debt quite easily, that are scalable, that can grow really quick. So a lot of the same things that a venture equity guy would want to see uh, and grow. And so the kind of big upside opportunities are the ones that we also like. We like for there to be a big potential at the end of the road and something new and innovative and has some core tech and defensible and all the classic things you'd look at as an equity investor. Got it. Um, has there any ever been a situation for for Top Corner or maybe some of your prior um, venture debt firms where you couldn't get your money back? I think you stated that uh, you know for you guys, failure is even losing a dollar, um, right? And a lot of VCs expect their companies to fail, and you might expect the company to fail, but you still definitely expect to be paid back. Um, can you share sort of like what happened and? Um, you know what? It, what did you? What did you and the firm do? And how did it turn out for the company? I don't think we have enough time on a podcast to discuss all <laughs> that. There's a million ways things can go wrong, um, and some things are completely out of your control. Um, you know, some things are um, avoidable. Um, sometimes there's a timing issue. You just like the venture equity world. You're too early. You're too late. Um, Sometimes it's an execution issue. The management team just didn't execute um, and made some fatal mistakes and made some wrong hires. Um, sometimes, you know, the competition ends up beating you out. And so it's a lot of the same reasons a venture equity firm would miss out. But we tend to be in companies that are a little bit lower beta, as I mentioned earlier, and they tend to be, there's a real something there and it usually takes longer. But you're right, we, we don't like to lose money our time frame is different too, right? We have to make sure this company's around for three years to pay off and service our debt. Venture equity, it may we may well get our loan paid off. The company may be doing great after three years, but then six, seven, eight years down the road, it doesn't make it. You know, we didn't lose money, but the venture equity guys did. So there's also situations where the venture equity guys lose their money, but we don't. Um, and again, we have amortizing loans, and so. It, you know, and our companies aren't running out of money day one. And so we rarely lose all our money. Um, if we get into trouble, it's because, hey, they weren't able to raise that next round of capital and we weren't able to adjust and cut a burn and, and do a series of different things, which most companies are able to do um, to stay alive, uh, to pay back our debt. And then even at the end of the day, if they can't do all those things, hopefully we're backing a team and a company and some IP that has some value to somebody and we could you know, worst case, sell the assets or sell the company or find someone to take over the loan uh, that we have. And so, yeah, we we really fight hard not to lose any money, but we, we, we do lose money and it does happen. There's things that are unavoidable. And, you know, this environment's going to be a challenging one just because things have changed so much. Yeah. And that's a really good segue into you know, you, you're trying to not lose money and you're obviously therefore hopefully helping the company, you know, not go under. What is the sort of value beyond the, um, beyond just the capital that a venture debt um, firm provides? Um, is it similar to the strategic advisory that you might find from a CVC or a VC, or is it a little bit more toned down given that you're not taking any board seats, um, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I like to think that my almost 30 years of living and working and investing in this area can bring some knowledge and and scars um, that I've experienced to the table, and and a lot of times that is what I 
that we're providing is, hey, just experience, and we've seen this before, and here are the pitfalls, and have you thought about this? And sometimes it's introductions to customers, sometimes it's introductions to new investors. Um, I interviewed the CFO candidate for one of my companies. You know, this company had three finalists for their CFO position, and they said, hey, we'd love your expertise here. Do you mind interviewing them? Um, so you may ask your VC to do that, but often we'll get asked that question. And I think um, that's flattering to us because they're thinking of us more than just capital um, and they want to get our advice. And and then in, if times are tough, you know, how can we help them pivot the business, cut the burn, sell off some assets, um, you know, um, think about their financial plan a little more, you know, and sometimes it's benchmarking, like right now, burn rate. Like we're getting asked that question all the time. Like, what should our burn be? Here's our size of our company and stage and everything else. And we can say, well, the other ten companies that we could compare you to are burning this much money, but you're burning twice as much. You know, you're out of whack, and that doesn't make sense. And so um, it's all the above. But again, I would say a lot of times it's thirty years of of scars um, and experiences, good and bad, that can be helpful to a, an entrepreneur or a CEO or a founder that um, may not have been around for 30 years. Uh, most of them are not, or that we meet, they're a lot younger than that, so. Um, Got it. And, so and how many companies are typically in your portfolio then? Um, we'll have 30 to 40 companies in our portfolio. Um, so it's a fair number. Um, so it tends to be a little more diversified than a venture equity fund, less concentrated. Um, and, uh, but we've already had, for instance, in this fund, uh, two exits um, that have happened so far. And so they'll trail off as they get acquired or mm -hmm. sometimes after they pay off our loan, we have less of an involvement with them because obviously there's less of a relationship. But yeah, <clears throat> but we're available to all of them, even the ones that, have, you know, where we've paid off the loan or they've paid us off, I should say. And so, um, yeah, we like to think we're available and, and we're a venture fund structure. We want to and we enjoy it. We enjoy talking to our companies and learning and. And uh, often they're teaching us stuff too that we haven't thought about. Right, and 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 in that regard, like you know, the, do you ever do subsequent loans? Is it is it common for you guys to do multiple loans yeah. to the same company over and over again, or yeah, after for sure. maybe multiple financing rounds? Uh, for sure, um, sometimes it's multiple financing rounds. Sometimes it's um, the company's doing really well. They don't ask us; we go to them and say, "Hey, we'd like to give you another chunk of capital." Uh, so I have one company now we've done three different loans for. Wow. Um, and then, and we love that. We, that means the company's succeeding and doing well. And we want to put more money and have more money to work with them, own more in the warrants. We might put equity in as well. And so for sure, we want to back our winners just like a venture equity firm would. Um, and uh, and I'll, we're always thinking about that. We're always thinking about who should we give more money to, whether either more debt or more equity. Mm. Got it. And I've got kind of maybe a silly question, but um, obviously talking about this whole loan structure, why would I why would I raise venture debt if I could just get a loan, a regular loan? Um, and so, how does that uh, how does that differ? Right. I know that we mentioned a little um, some some things about covenants, right? But could you explain a little bit more um, for maybe the um, the noob? The noob loan investor, uh, why you would not uh, just go out and raise a loan or an SPV? Well, a loan typically is from if it's from a, a not a venture debt bank, but a, just a regular bank. They'll typically ask for number one a personal guarantee. Mm -hmm. um, you probably don't want to give that. That means you're putting up your own house assets, bank account. You have to pay them back. Um, Secondly, they'll typically have, as you say, a lot of covenants, a lot of restrictions. So you may not be able to use the money. Um, some lenders, they say, well, we'll do it. We'll give you a loan, but it's got to be cash collateralized, which means I'll lend you a million dollars, but you've got to keep a million dollars in the bank at all times, which doesn't make any sense because you're basically lending yourself your own money and paying them a fee for that. And so it's, it's just there's not really that many... If you can go and get a loan that's not guaranteed, that has no covenants, and that is cheaper than what we can do, all the power to you. But it's just not very common. Got it. Yeah, it's just an, it's an interesting question. I think there's so many. Um, uh, like I think even I myself might ask, not even really know the the distinct differences between 
um, this until you kind of go through it yourself, right? And then you realize that there's a lot of material differences between raising venture debt. It's risky too. Like think about it. For most, think about a lender who's lending to a company that's not making money, that's small, that's subscale, that's not proven completely. And so it's just, it's not easy to get that loan um, unless you're putting up your house and your bank account and your collateral, your personal collateral as, as right. a backstop, which means, again, if things go wrong, they're going to come take your house. Yeah, that would be bad. Um, no, <laughs> definitely yeah. don't want anybody to come take my house for starting an entrepreneurial business. Um, and then I guess, you know, uh, we're, we're, I want to kind of learn a little bit more about how you source those deals, right? You said that you have 30 to 40 companies in your portfolio. How did you find them? Um, and you said you're not, you're not necessarily, you seem like you're more sector agnostic. So there's no specific kind of like investment, um, uh, like sector specific thesis. So how do you find, how do you guys find your deal flow? Yeah, it's, it's all referral. Um, the best referrals come from repeat entrepreneurs. So I'm in one company now where I've backed the entrepreneur twice before. So it's the third time. And the two prior companies that this entrepreneur started were both extremely successful. Um, and that person just called me up and said, hey, I know you started a new fund and I want to work with you again. And here's my new company. So that's the best kind is someone that we've actually worked with before and backed and, and that I know and trust and like. Um, <clears throat> probably the second area where we get a lot of referrals. It could be from those entrepreneurs that are referring us to their friends or people they know or people ask them advice. Uh, but the second group would be the venture capitalists um, who we work with and partner with. And, and again, we don't, we're Switzerland. We don't compete with any of them. We want them to think of us as a partner. Sometimes they compete with each other, the VCs. Um, but we get a lot of deal flow from, again, people we've worked with before, investors, VCs who we worked with before who have funded a new company and said, well, this worked really well last time. Let's call up Patrick and Top Corner. Let's do this one. And, and mm -hmm. so that's probably the second um, large group of referrals. Um, and then after that, it's lawyers, accountants, CFOs, temp CFOs, people in the industry, people who've heard about us, um, we get referred from other venture debt people who, because we play earlier, um, we'll get a referral from, I got one today from JP Morgan, uh, the bank. It's too small for them. It's too early for them. It's too risky for them. And, um, and so we'll get referrals like that. Um, and so we'll take all those and sift through them and, and, uh, but, it's usually through someone we know and trust and like that gives us the referral. And so it's been vetted. Um, and often they're in the deal. If it's a VC, it's a deal they have done. And so we can then really, you know, say, well, why did you do that deal? And why do you like it? And, and leverage a lot of the, the diligence they've already done. Right. Right. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you for sharing so much about venture debt. I'm going to ask you one kind of hard last question um, to, to, to close this out, but what would be the reason for someone to definitely not raise venture debt? Um, let's just say they have done a price, and they but they fit the requirements of why of of raising venture debt. So they've raised recently raised a price round. They do have a cash flow stream. They are um, you know in in the sweet spot for you guys. But why would they not necessarily? You know what's like the the dark side, I guess, of venture debt. There must be a con to. Um, well, there's not a dark, I mean, there shouldn't be a dark side to it. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons it sounds simple and it's not a dark side, sometimes we meet companies that just have a very, very low burn rate and they've raised a lot of equity. And so they have five years of runway. So they're still burning money, but they're burning very, very little and they have a very, very long runway. It's hard for us to help those people because we don't, I see. we can't really say, Here's you should start paying us back in the first three years, but you have five years of time before you run out of money. Um, so that's a, just a simple, and we often will ping someone or get a call from someone saying, yeah, I'm thinking about putting venture debt on this. What do you think? And they'll say, I'll say, well, how much runway do you have? And if they say I have five years of runway, I'm like, you know, go run your business. If you start burning more money and that runway shortens, then call us. So that's not a dark side. That's just a practical element. Um, we just can't be helpful. Our capital is not going to help them. Um, right. It's like a drop in the bucket if you're inc incredibly well capitalized. And so yeah. at this and point, I tell them you shouldn't raise venture debt. 
because right. you don't need it. It's not going to help you. Um, there are some lenders who say, yeah, we'll lend you all day long because it's the safest loan in the world. Not very genuine because, again, it just doesn't help. If it doesn't help the company, they shouldn't take it. Um, and I guess the other one would be a company that comes to us and says, hey, we want to put some venture debt on here. Maybe it's not five years of runway, but we have two years of runway or three years of runway. And I'm like, well, how are we going to use our capital? And it's like, I don't know. We just want to have more cash in the bank. That's usually not a good use case because, again, they don't know. The ones that come to us and say, hey, I want to hire this person and I want to spend on this marketing and I want to do this with the capital. I want to do this. I want to start a new product extension and invest R&D on that. The more specific they are about how they're going to use our money and how that those initiatives will help them become a more valuable company, that's the better use case. So we usually get in and ask our companies, well, how are we going to use our capital? And the ones that have thought through it, you know, and been very methodical about it. And if, you know, she or he has really done the analysis to analyze this, those are usually the ones that, that work really well. And, and if it's used properly and it achieves all those goals and they're worth more, then they look back and say, wow, that was great. It paid for itself. Um, it paid for itself multiple times over. And that's, that's success. Got it. Got it. Well, Patrick, this was so helpful. Um, and I hope that the founders that are listening to this podcast uh, learned a lot. I know I, I did. Um, if uh, anybody wants to learn about venture debt or, or reach out to you, like where should they, where should they go? Sure. Just email me, Patrick at topcornercapital.com. Awesome. Yeah. And on that note, like we'll, we'll be concluding a, um, you know, thank you to our listeners and I'll be back in two weeks. Um, until next time, friends, uh, feel free to hit me up at alexandra at novic.co. If you ever have any questions, comments, or concerns, I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, and with that, au revoir. See you next time.